Thank you, Renee. And this is, as I've always said, this is your invitation. If you didn't grab a Bible, feel free to zip back there and grab one now if you'd like to have one. Uh, with the Bibles in the back, we're going to have to get used to for the summer, a little bit of moving around. So feel free to grab one whenever you, you, uh, you remember uh, to go grab one. So you know, I was thinking back to some of my, uh, my favorite music from decades ago. Uh, when I was growing up, I was a huge Huey Lewis in the news fan. Any other Huey Lewis news fans? Yeah, there, a few people dare to admit it, yeah. Now, you know, nowadays, the only time I hear him played is when I'm on an elevator and I hear the Muzak playing, and it's my favorite songs from growing up, which makes me feel really, really old. Um, but I was thinking specifically of one of his hit songs from, what, 20, 25 years ago um, that celebrated work, uh, the song Working for a Living, right? It, it celebrated work. But it didn't do a very good job of celebrating work. Because if you know the words to that song, the guy's singing, he's saying, yeah, you know, I go to work and, and some days just seem to last forever and ever. And, and he's confident that the raise that he thought he was going to get called into the office to get, that he's not going to get it anymore. And he knows that by the time he receives his paycheck every two weeks, he's already spent the money and he's already further behind than when he began. So even though the song by Huey Lewis in the News has, has an upbeat uh, rhythm and is kind of, uh, kind of catchy, the message it gives about work certainly isn't very encouraging. And this morning, as we make our way through our Life Stages series that we've been working through, we come to these working years of ours. Right? We, we start this season of life when we graduate from high school or graduate from college and we're ready to dive in and do whatever it is that we've been training and figuring out how to do. And then 40-some years later, on the other end of this life stage, we're just ready to be done. What we started so excited about, we're just weary of. And we can't wait to finally finish. Right, so for many of us, this... This working season of life feels like a necessary burden, right? We, we suffer through it until we can finally be done. The other side of that coin is that for some of us, we define ourselves in these working years of life because it is our work, it's our task, it's our job that we allow to, to define who we are. It's where we find our identity. It's where we find our value. It's where we find our worth. So we have both those extremes, and that's why we need to hear God's perspective on this life stage of our working years this morning, because God's perspective on this stage of life is very different from either of those extremes. So we need to step back, hear what God has to say in order to get our work back in proper perspective again. Because God makes it very, very clear that it's so much more important and more significant to make a life while we're here than to make a living. So this morning, we're going to look at five truths. Five truths that God teaches us in his word about work. Some of them that might be good reminders for you. Some of them might actually totally transform how you see your work and how you live in this stage of life. The first truth, the first truth might surprise and could change your attitude, could change your conversations, is that work is good. Work is good. Too often we have this attitude that work 
is something that we should avoid at all costs. That work is something to be dreaded, that it's misery. And that attitude comes pretty naturally at a pretty early age, right? Any of you who have kids in the house have witnessed this. Right, just before dinner, when you're working in the kitchen and there's, there's food to be snatched and snooped, you can't get them out of the kitchen, right? They're there stealing the food and they're there, they're present. Fast forward to after dinner when there's dishes to be cleaned. Crickets. Somehow they just disappear, right? Because there's work to be done and they're gone. You know, with kids cleaning a room and folding laundry, mowing the lawn, cruel and unusual punishment, isn't it? Right? And you don't ever, my guess is no parent ever had to teach your child how to roll their eyes when you request them to do their job. It just comes naturally like breathing, right? And we so often carry those same attitudes all through life into our adult lives. We trudge through the work week and we just can't wait to get to Friday and Saturday. We put in our 50 weeks just to get to those two weeks of vacation that we get. We survive 40 years of a career because we just so badly want to retire and be done with work. And so oftentimes we live into that, that societal norm that, that work is a, is a miserable means to an end that you just got to get done with. The truth is God created work. And work is a good, good thing. In fact, our God was the first one to ever do any work. So in Genesis chapter 1, God, we see God working, right? He works for six days, creating the heavens and the earth and everything that we see out of nothing. And then Genesis 2 then tells us that God wrapped up his work week. It says that, that the heavens, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day, made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Work shows up three times in those, in those couple verses. Because God worked. And remember, God doesn't do anything evil. God doesn't do anything bad. So work must be good. Right? And, and when God created Adam, in the Garden of Eden, he didn't put Adam in that garden and say, there, now just relax, now just go and enjoy the animals, lay around in the grass all day long and do nothing. No. Genesis 2.15 says that the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to work it and to care for it. So we need to realize that work does not come as a result of the fall. Work is part of God's good creation, part of his design for you and for me. So we need to stop seeing it as something to be endured, some evil to be avoided, and see it as a, a blessing from God to be embraced and encouraged. And, and since God back in Genesis, gives us the task of imitating him, of being created in his image, then he also commands us then to work. It's a command from God. 
Right? Remember in Exodus 20, God gives the Ten Commandments. His guidelines for living. Here, here's the right way to live. Not just obediently, but here's what will bring you blessing. It will bring goodness in your life. Right? Fourth commandment. Listen to this. It says, you, you've heard it before. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work. We hear that command, and rightfully we hear the command to Sabbath. We hear the command to rest. And some of us need to hear that again. It's time to rest and give that day to God. But don't miss that there's also a command to work in there. Six days you shall labor. My guess is that's more of a command than just a suggestion or a recommendation. A Sabbath day is needed because in God's design, we are busy the other six days accomplishing the tasks and responsibilities that God designed for us. And none of us is exempt from this command. God has given every single one of us work to do. Right? Ephesians 2 verse 10 makes this so very clear. It says, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Each one of us, every single one of us in this room, has been created to do the good work that God has prepared for you. Yes, that's a spiritual work, but I think it's a daily practical work too. And our tasks may be very, very different. Right? God has called some of us into the workforce on a full-time basis. Some of us have been given the task of managing other people. Uh, some of us have been given the task of working on a line or in a shop. Some of us have been called to be leaders. Others of us followers. God has given some of us the calling to unpaid positions as volunteers God has called many of us to be stay-home parents where you are resident business manager and supply chain manager and financial guru and chauffeur and doctor and meal planner and cook and encourager and disciplinarian and parent and friend all wrapped up into one. Probably the biggest job of them all. That's the good work that God has called you to do. And all of us, whether we get a paycheck for it or not, have been called and commanded by God to work, to accomplish the good things that he has prepared just for you. And he expects us to be working hard. Right? Proverbs 18, verse 9, that book full of wisdom for a living, says the one who is slack in his work is brother to one who destroys in other words, laziness is not just a minor character flaw. Sloth is one of the seven deadly sins. It destroys. That's why Paul, in the New Testament, addresses this issue directly with members of the Thessalonian church. Some of these new Christians in the city of Thessalonia had gone, Thessalonica, had gone lazy. Right? Their, their thinking was this. Their thinking was, Jesus is going to be coming back very, very soon, like any day now. So why would I go to work? Why, why would I put any effort into fixing up my house? Why would I 
do anything except sit and wait. And so they were just spending all day sitting around waiting, doing nothing, being lazy. And Paul says, Paul has some pretty strict words for them. Any with the words that we as parents, again, love to quote to our children, right? The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. But that's for all of us. God commands us to work on the line, in the office, at home, at school, at church, or maybe even to work at finding work. And when when God commanded Adam in that perfect garden before sin entered the world, when God commanded Adam to work that garden, I doubt that Adam argued. I doubt that he grumbled. I doubt that he complained before he walked off to go to work. No. Because work was created to be a joy. And sin took it and broke it. And now it's made difficult by this brokenness of sin. It's sin that gives us this bad attitude about work. It's sin that makes our backs ache and and blisters form. And frustrations mount. Because work was created to bring us joy. But sin has made it misery. See, after Adam had disobeyed God. And when the floodgates of evil and sin are broken. And they they flow into this world. The punishment that Adam receives in Genesis chapter 3. Affects our lives and affects our work still today. God says this to Adam. He says, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So now, he says, work is going to be made painful and difficult. That's really the way that sin works. Sin takes something that was good and twists it into something bad, into something miserable, sometimes even to something evil. And here, sin does exactly that with the gift of work that God gives us. And it's our task. It's our task as followers of Jesus Christ in this broken world to be redeeming this world, right? To take the good thing that sin broke and to return it to its goodness. That's what redeem means, right? So it's our task to take this thing called work that God created to be good, that sin broke and made miserable, and to return the joy back to the way it was created to be. When we get a Christian perspective on work and a Christian understanding that we are called by God to serve him in our vocation, then we will begin to rediscover true purpose and meaning in our work. When we have found God's calling for our lives, we should find that we are not only doing what the world needs to have done, but we're doing what we most need to do. And we find fulfillment and joy and purpose in that. 
If you grab your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 with me. Ecclesiastes 2, page 648 in the Bibles that you grabbed from the back. We spent four weeks at the beginning of the year walking through the book of Ecclesiastes. This wise man's record of his search for meaning and purpose in his life. And he ends up, if you remember our discussion, he ends up finding true joy right in the middle of the daily tasks that God has called him to do. And here in Ecclesiastes 2, starting at verse 17, this is where we find, where some of us find ourselves in his journey and in his search. We can relate to what he writes here in verse 17 through 23. Listen to this. He says, So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. Yet they will have control over all the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. And then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. And pause there for a moment. I know I don't have a lot of ameners in this room. We're not that tradition. But inside some of you are saying amen. That's my experience. That's how I feel about work. It's all misery. All work is grief and pain. And even at night, my mind doesn't rest. It just brings me stress. But that's not where this writer ends on his journey. It's what he has experienced in life, but it's not where he ends. He finds God good, God's goodness and purpose in his work. Read on with me. It says a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. To those living and working without a godly perspective, yes, work is meaningless. There's no greater purpose. It's disappointing. It's discouraging. It's empty. And in the end of their life, they'll see that it was useless. But to the one who is serving God, he says, there's a whole new perspective now to my work, a whole new purpose to my work, a whole new joy in what I am doing. That joy comes because those who are serving God realize that work is not the top priority in their lives. Is work important to us? Absolutely. It sure is. Is it the most important thing? No. Faithfulness to God is the most important thing. 
Does our work help define us as people? It certainly does help, help us in discipline and help shape our character, but it doesn't define us. Because we find our true identity in our relationship with God, not in our relationship with our work and what we do. Is work a priority in our lives? You bet. God gave it to us. It's part of a well-balanced, well-ordered life. But it must not be the top priority in our lives because that spot is reserved for God. It doesn't even get second place because second place is reserved for, for the people that God loves as we're called to love them. So yes, our work certainly is in the mix of a well-balanced, a well-prioritized life. But, but it must not tip the scale and the balance of our lives only in its favor. Right, Martha, in the New Testament, learned that lesson the hard way in Luke chapter 10. Maybe you remember the story. Jesus has come to stay at the house of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, his brothers and sisters. And, and he's there for supper that night, and Martha's in the kitchen, feverishly working to put on a great spread in front of her honored guests. And where's Mary, her sister? Her Mary, is, Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet in the family room, just sitting there doing nothing, listening to him talk. Not lifting a finger to help. And finally, after frustration boils over, Martha runs into the room and says to Jesus, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to come and help me. And all of us here with a good Protestant work ethic say, yeah. Yeah, you do the work first. And when the work is done, then you can sit down and hear Jesus talk. You do the work, then you relax. That's the right order. And Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus looks at Martha and says, Martha, Martha, you're worried. You're upset about many things. But few things are needed. Indeed, only one. And Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. In other words, there's a time to set your work aside. There's a time to let your work go. When it comes to the things of God, put aside your work and focus on him. Don't let your work become your God. Don't let your work come between you and your God. Jesus' message to us is don't, don't let work become top priority in your life. Instead, we need to realize that work has a greater purpose. Work has a greater end. Right? The, the writer of Ecclesiastes said that. Right? If you're just working to get the money to gain... You're going to give it all away in the end. You're going to find it's not worth it. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we do not work just for a paycheck. We don't put in our time just to get out. We don't retire and quit life and then settle into a meaningless, unproductive existence. God gives us, in his word, three clear purposes for our work that we need to be remembered, that need to shape our tasks in our work culture, need to shape these working years, this stage of life. He says, first of all, we work as our service to God. When we work, we are serving him. 
I don't think there's any clearer passage on that purpose for our work than Colossians 3. In Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul is talking specifically to slaves and indentured servants in his culture. Okay, but what he says to those employees really fits into our employer-employee relationship as well. And so as employees, put your name into this passage. When Paul says slaves, instead of slaves, put your own name. Tony, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Don't miss that last line. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. We work, first of all, for God. He is our employer. He is our boss. And because of that, we strive to do our best. We find our satisfaction not in the paycheck and in the money we make, we find our satisfaction in serving him and pleasing him and hearing his well done spoken to us. We find our joy in doing a good job and doing our job well for our heavenly father. And we look for opportunities to grow God's kingdom right where he has placed us with the work that he's called us to do. So we, we work as service to God. And we work for the purpose also of being a witness to God day in and day out. We work where we work, wherever that is for you, whatever that that location is for you, whether that's home or school, office, factory. We work wherever we are by God's design. And never forget that he's placed you right in that place at this time. Somehow for his kingdom purposes, not just to provide you with a paycheck. You and I are to be salt and light in our world, in our working world, day in and day out. So God says to us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Win the respect of outsiders by the way that you work. It's a kingdom purpose. We are to be models of a godly perspective on life and on work so that the world around us might see God reflected in us. And finally, God calls us to work not simply for the purpose of getting, but to work for the purpose of giving. We work with an eye towards all the opportunities God gives us, not to hoard, but to share. Ephesians 4.28, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands. Why? Not so that they can pay their own way through life. He says, so that they may have something to share with those in need. We're called to share, to be people who are generous. 
Because God's kingdom purposes go way beyond our own little kingdoms that we try to build through our employment, through our paycheck. Right? They go beyond our own satisfaction and our own bank accounts and our own retirement plans. God gives to us through our work so that we might give to each other, so that we might give to this world around us, so that we might invest in his kingdom purposes. Our work isn't just about us. Your job isn't about you. My job isn't about me. It's about God. And it's about others. God has given every single one of us a calling from him. And our, your vocation, our vocation, may be selling cars or raising kids or driving truck or leading people or managing money or building homes. And the list could go on. Our vocations may be different. But our calling is the same. Serve God in everything you do. So tomorrow morning when you go off to work, or for you stay-at-home parents when you walk out of this place because your job never ends, remember, you're not just going to a job. You're not just going to a paycheck. You're not just going to a career. You're going to a God-given adventure and calling of service and witness to his goodness and to his grace. It's a God-given adventure of redeeming your work and bringing back the joy that God created it to be. Discovering that joy. Remember that you're working to make a life, not just a living. Would you pray with me? Father, forgive us for when we take something, when we've taken something that you created good, our work, and we embrace the brokenness, and we let it remain broken, and we become people who choose to be miserable or choose to complain, who miss the opportunity you give us to use the people you've made us to be in the gifts that you've given us for your glory and to redeem what sin has broken and to make work good, to see our calling and our vocation as an opportunity to serve you, as an opportunity to usher in your kingdom into this world, as in our opportunity to be generous and to give, and our, as our opportunity to find joy in becoming the people you called us to be and in using the gifts and abilities you've given to us for your glory and for your purposes. And we're so grateful, we're so thankful that you bless us in the meantime. We like to think that that what we earn and what we can purchase with what we earn, that that's ours, that we did that. God, that's yours. 
It's by your goodness and by your grace that we have what we have. And so I ask that you would help all of us here to see our work from a kingdom perspective. To let you transform our hearts and our minds and our lives as we live every moment and every day for you and give you thanks for the opportunity you've given us to work for your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.